Hello, hello, my beautiful people. We're back. My guest today is Zuby. And Zuby is an independent rapper, podcast host, author, public speaker, and creative entrepreneur with over 500,000 followers online. He was born in England, raised in Saudi Arabia, and is a graduate of Oxford University. He's sold over 25,000 albums independently, performed in eight countries, and achieved over 10 million online video views. Zuby's been featured on Joe Rogan, BBC, The Rubin Report, Candace Owens, and The Ben Shapiro Show, among others. And he is incredible. That was a hell of a bio for a really interesting guy. And in this conversation, we spoke about what it was like to be on Joe Rogan, how his childhood affected the rest of his life, how he doesn't drink alcohol, how his overnight success happened over a span of 10 years. We also discussed the Americanization of the world. And even though he's UK or from the UK, rather, how that has impacted him. I really had a great time with Zuby. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda is the best place to find me, the best place to let me know what you think of this episode. Let's get to it, guys. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. First thing I want to touch on with you, Zuby, is what your childhood was like, because you must have had some great parents. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you... You, you don't curse. You are the perfect example of what a, a child should be like. So what was your childhood like? Man, uh, my childhood was uh, <laughs> my childhood was great, man. Um, I, as you as you acknowledged, I have fantastic parents. God bless them. Um, happy to have them. Happy to have them both still here. Um, and I have uh, I come from a fantastic family. I'm the youngest of five children. Uh, so I have two older brothers and two older sisters. I've got nine nieces and nephews. I've got a gigantic extended family all over the world, in the UK, in Nigeria, in the USA, all over the world. Um, so I actually grew up in Saudi Arabia. I was born in the UK, but when I was a baby, I moved out to Saudi Arabia with my parents. Uh, my dad is a medical doctor. He got the chance to work out there. So the whole family moved over. So all my earliest memories um, are in Saudi Arabia. When I was there, I grew up in... Um, I grew up in like a, what would you call it? Kind of like, a, they call them camps. It's kind of like a compound. So very international community. So people from all over the world. So from a really young age, I was surrounded by true diversity. People of different religions, colors, creeds, nationalities, whatever. I've been surrounded by that from before preschool. Um, when I was 11 years old, I went to um, I went to the UK for boarding school. Uh, did extremely well in school. I was always like got the top grade in absolutely everything. I got accepted to go to Oxford University, studied computer science there, uh, graduated over a decade ago now. And since 2011, I have been um, a full-time, started out just as a full-time musician. Now I'm a whole bunch of things. I'm a musician, author, podcaster, coach, 
public speaker. As, as you probably know, if you follow me, I do a whole bunch of different things. But um, that's the sort of very quick version of Zuby's sort of childhood up until now. But if you want me to go into any more detail on any segment of that, I'd be very happy to. Absolutely. And I, I do want to go into more detail, particularly about the part of diversity and your childhood being diverse. Do you think that played a role in your ability to see so many different viewpoints like you do on Twitter and, and like you've shown before? Yeah, most definitely, man. Um, so I've had very heavy exposure to four very different countries and cultures. Um, I've been exposed to way more than that. I've traveled to, I think, 35 different countries now. But um, just from the way I've lived my life. So my family background is originally from Nigeria. My parents are originally from Nigeria. That's where my family background is from. Um, but I was born in the UK. I'm a British citizen. I live in the UK now. I've been in the UK for many a uh, couple of decades now. But I also grew up in Saudi Arabia. I lived in Saudi Arabia for 19 years, you know, back and forth between the countries. And when I was in Saudi Arabia, I was actually in the American schooling system. So I was in the American schooling system from kindergarten up until fifth grade. A lot of people hear my accent and they're like, where's this guy from? Is he British? Is he American? Is he what? And that's actually from my childhood in Saudi Arabia. So most of my teachers were American, lots of my friends were American. So I learned how to speak English through American speakers. So that's why when anyone hears my voice, whether it's in my music or just talking, that's, the, that's why I sound how I do. Um, and all of those cultures and countries are very, very different in the way they do things. Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, UK, USA, you've got a real combination of different cultures and different systems and different ways of doing things. So for me, I think that's uh, one of the key things that allows me to have just a, a unique perspective on the world in a lot of ways and the ability to sort of see things from different angles and see things from a very global perspective and also to just um, have a sense of gratitude for certain things as well, which I feel like a lot of people, particularly in the modern Western world, lack because they don't have, they just don't have the perspective on a historical nor geographical level. So. If you look at the things that a lot of people complain about in the UK or in the USA or similar countries, you know, a lot of the stuff people are complaining about are things that the vast majority of the world doesn't even have the sort of opportunity to, to complain about. And then those same people who are living that life, they're the ones who, you know, want to talk about privilege and oppression and this and that. And I'm always kind of like, that's why I'm, I'm quite like, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that kind of stuff, for the victim mentality and, oh my gosh, woe is me, everything is terrible. The world is falling, like I'm such a victim, all that. I'm kind of like, dude, come on. If you if you live in 2020 and you're able-bodied and you're growing up in the Western world, you know, your ancestors would be laughing at your, at your so-called struggle. So, yeah, sure, you know, the world is never perfect. Things can always get better. We all have our personal problems. But no matter what, I always try to maintain that sort of positive framing on my outlook in general. And I try to spread that and encourage other people to do the same. Did you ever feel like an outsider when you were growing up because of being from so many different cultures and going into so many different arenas? Did you ever feel like, oh, wow, I'm a part of all these groups, but I am not myself any part of one of them? And did that, did that get into your head as a child? Um, no. You know, my background is just my background. I mean, in a way, I, I, and to the degree that, it's, that it was there, I mean, it's still there. I am an outsider. Right. In every sense of the word. I mean, I'm British, but I don't even sound, 
you know, I can't even get played on certain radio stations here in the UK because I sound too American, wow. right? They're like, oh no, like this is not a British rapper because he sounds American. And then, you know, but I'm not American. And then um, I'm from Nigeria, but I've never lived in Nigeria. Um, I don't speak my parents' native tongue. Um, and then I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I lived in Saudi Arabia for 19 years, but I don't speak Arabic. I'm not Muslim. Mm -hmm. I'm not Saudi. Um, so I'm someone who sort of, I am just me. And for a long time, I've always just been comfortable just being like, look, I'm just me. People can try to put me in this box or that box or with this label or that label, whatever. But I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I'm not affiliated with anything. I'm not a... I'm not a, even politically, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat. I have my views, uh, you know, like, I'm not afraid to express them, but I'm not a, I'm not a partisan. I'm not like a part of any party or organization or this or that. Um, and in, in, a, in a sense, you know, there, there's, there can be a slight downside to that maybe for some people who really like to sort of feel like they're attached to this one location or country or even city perhaps. Um, I'm not like that at all. I've lived in, man, I don't, how many cities have I lived in? I don't know. Maybe I've lived in 10 different cities so far, um, in, I don't know, four different countries or something like that. So I don't really feel that I have, um, an affinity for certain places, but I don't really feel like, okay, this one spot is my hometown or even my home country in that regard. Um, and the benefit from that as well is, you know, it, it makes you... I don't really like the term global citizen. It's a bit cheesy, but um, it just makes you someone who's of the world, who's able to kind of be a bit of a chameleon, actually, and kind of fit in in different places. Like I can go to I can go to New York. I can go to Texas and I don't really like I kind of just blend in wherever I am. I can like blend in here. I can blend in there. And um, yeah, to me, I just I, I use it to my advantage. You know, I use it to my advantage, even in my music. Um, to some people here in the UK, for example, some people don't like the fact that I don't sound like an English rapper. Um, but then there are other people, especially globally, who sort of like the fact that I don't have like a thick London accent and they can sort of understand and relate to me better than they might with some of the London rappers, for example. And it just means that, yeah, wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, I feel like I can kind of fit in and... Um, and, I, and that's reflected in my audience, too. I have a very global audience. Um, in fact, when I'm putting out content online, I have to think like, OK, like, you know, I have to time stuff. Right. It's like, oh, the Americans aren't awake yet. Right. So <laughs> let me let me hold on to this one. Let me drop this one when, when America wakes up, because most of my music listeners are American. Most of the people who buy my book are American. Most of my podcast listeners are American. I have a bigger audience in the U.S. than I do in the U.K. just by being U.K. based. So these are all considerations, but it's wonderful. You know, I can go to any city and it's just love. You bring up the point about America and you're from the UK, not from the UK, but live in the UK. And I'm from the UK, yeah. I am okay. The UK. So you, what I've seen as an American is that the world has become more American in general. And it's been so interesting to me. Like I'll go through and watch uh, modern wisdom and I have Chris Williamson and George Mack talking <clears throat> to each other and they're talking to each other but they're acting and and saying basically like Trump is if Trump wins or, or Biden wins and I'm like thinking to myself holy smokes these people love these guys they're so brilliant but they're not American and they're they're talking as if they're 
the election is in a their election. And I just was curious if you saw from your perspective as well that the world is getting more American. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, look, America is the third biggest country in the world, and it's the biggest country in the Western world by by a long way too. You guys have over 330 million people. I don't think there's another country in the West that has even over 100 million. Maybe Brazil, um, but even Brazil might not be considered, you know, say the English-speaking West, let's say, or even you know Western Europe, etc. The USA is gigantic. The USA has so much power. Whether that you're talking, I don't just mean politically. I mean culturally, um, the things that filter down. I mean, look at the music I make. I'm a hip hop artist, right? That is an American form of music. So many things, whether you're talking entertainment, music, film, comedy, um, the way people dress, the things people talk about, so much of that is driven by the USA. Um, there's a saying, when the USA sneezes, the, the world catches a cold. And it's certainly true that when the US sneezes, the UK catches a cold. So whether it's what's going on in your political arena or your society or your cultural arena, um, people pay attention to that because it has echoes beyond um, the borders of the USA. And I think also when it comes to politics, for example, um, US politics, in my opinion, is just, it's more interesting, right? It's, it's kind of like WWE for adults. Um, <laughs> you, you guys have some real characters in there. So whether someone likes Trump or they don't like Trump, like the guy is a character, man. Um, you know, it's just, it's like Royal, Royal Rumble going on there all the time. There's always some just madness and craziness and a lot of people, I think, tune in. So, you know, for some people take it really seriously, um, but for a lot of people, it's just sort of entertainment and, and curiosity. Um, a lot of sometimes Americans kind of find it weird that people in the UK or in Germany or in Sweden sort of care about what's going on with their elections or whatever. But like mm -hmm. I said, it does it does set a precedent. And if you're someone who's analytical and pays attention to what's going on in the world, you can see over time, over the course of years or over the course of decades how things that happen over there. Um, I mean, let me give you a perfect example, okay? Um, in the UK, sports players, like there was a big thing, that a big scandal that happened this weekend over sports players uh, taking a knee. Okay, mm -hmm. Football, or you, as you guys would say, soccer players. So soccer players in the Premier League taking a knee before the game. This started with Colin Kaepernick, right? Yep. Years ago taking a knee to protest police brutality and what he felt was systemic racism in the USA. Mm -hmm. Police brutality, the guns, the police in the UK don't even carry guns in there. Okay. The police in the U, like what, regardless of what someone thinks about the narrative in America, of the narrative in the US, you cannot compare it to the situation in the UK, right? Whether you're talking about like even racial issues or you're talking about like police violence and police brutality just to, to even try to compare them is asinine right so mm. how does a man and, and let's be real okay if if the video of george floyd being killed in minneapolis in minneapolis what was that may may 2020 if that video had not been taken and gone viral these events this weekend in the uk would not have happened so um yeah so so how does um, a man being killed in police custody or at the hands of police in May in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA, somehow lead to statues being torn down in cities in the UK and sports players in the UK where they don't have these issues really 
taking a knee and that becoming a scandal, right? That's the influence of America. That's the influence of America, right? Stuff happens over there and then somehow it trickles out it trickles out here. I mean, even even beyond the Western world, I mean, they have they have Trump they have Trump rallies in Nigeria, dude. Really? Yes. It's crazy. <laughs> right? So so there are people I've seen Trump parades in in Nigeria, right? They've got seen videos of people in Nigeria, in random towns in Nigeria, in MAGA gear, going down the street holding up signs and pictures of Donald Trump. By the way, for anyone listening who's curious, um, Nigeria is one of the countries where Donald Trump has the highest approval rating. Um, for anyone who's curious, so and again, most people don't even know these things, right? But as someone who's a part of lots of these different cultures and nations, right? You, you see that global perspective. Um, so yeah, that, that's just, uh, I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but that's um, an example of why I think you see that phenomena where you might be listening to a British podcast or like a British uh, TV show or something, and they're talking about America more than they're talking about what's happening in the UK. Here we had the Brexit, here we had Brexit but um, I think by this stage people are a little tired of Brexit and there's not much more to talk about, so... I'm curious what your personal news cycle, you viewing the news, is like. Because from my perspective, the people who are happiest in this world are paying less attention to the news, generally speaking. And you seem like yeah. a pretty happy, positive guy. Oh, so, exactly. yeah, so how do you, how much do you view the news, especially since you've become a part of the news cycle in your past? <laughs> and talk to me about that. Yeah, man, I uh, I don't own a television. I haven't had it. I sold my TV 13 years ago, so I do not I do not have a television in here. There's no TV here, so I don't watch TV at all. Um, if I'm at somebody's house and the TV happens to be on, like I don't run away from it. But I don't watch TV. I watch zero hours of TV a week. Um, so most of what I see comes through social media. Obviously, I'm extremely active on social media. Um, I'm on YouTube, I listen to podcasts, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, so anything super important or even not that important tends to filter down to me, or I talk <laughs> to people and I find out what's going on, but I do not actively keep up with the news. Uh, I don't go on news websites, I don't, um, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't own TV, I don't buy newspapers, unless there's like once in a blue moon there's something very specific that I want to look up or I hear about, then yeah, sure, I'll go to, you know. I'll type in something on Google and I'll check out a couple articles just to see what's happening. But um, yeah, I I wouldn't say I'm on a low information diet because Twitter sort of makes that impossible. Mm -hmm. But I don't actively seek out. Um, I don't actually act. I don't actively seek out a lot of news because, like you said, it's not um it's not very helpful. It's not very the overall. I think the overall impact is a net negative. It's a net mm -hmm. negative for the vast majority of people gets you angry and upset about things you don't need to know about and which you can't do anything about. Um, I'm not a fan of being sort of uh, totally disconnected from what's going on in the world. I think that's, um, I think it can go to another extreme. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to be generally cognizant and conscious of what's happening in the world, but not to the degree, you know, <laughs> let, let me summarize it like this. Like, I think you should know that um, you should know that there's like a, you know something called coronavirus that's happening, but you shouldn't you know know the death count of every nation off the top of your head, and you shouldn't be like so terrified that you've been sitting in your basement all year and sanitizing your hand, bathing in sanitizer, and uh, 
wearing a mask on while you're inside your own house or your own car. So there's a balance, you know, you want the awareness, but you don't want to be driving yourself insane, especially when it comes to um, anything that can instill fear in people, um, which, which goes for any kind of disease or disaster or something crime related or even just politics, right? You know, we mm-hmm. have people who think that their life or death depends on who's sitting in the White House, which is totally stupid because it doesn't. Um, you know, we all have our preferences and everyone wants their, their guy to win. But, um, you know, whoever is in the White House, if your success or failure is based on who's in the White House, then um, you're, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the balance is so important. And yeah. But switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about the day your life changed forever. And let's call it February 26, 2019. Shout oh, yeah, out to yeah. – that's my dad's birthday, so I have to oh, okay. I have to throw that out there. But your life changes forever. And I I want to know how – and for people who don't know, you, I'm sure you'll get into it. But what does this do to you mentally? Because this is a side that I think that people don't talk about when you have a viral tweet or a viral moment or whatever. The mental side and the dopamine that goes off in your head is something that no one tells you, no one prepares you for in school. And so so talk to me about the mental side of February 26, 2019. Yeah, sure. Okay, so for the, for the uh, those who are uninitiated, that's the day that um, I posted a tweet of me deadlifting 230 kilos. Um, It was a short video, nine second video, uh, something I just had on my phone. Um, But it was the caption that did it. I said something along the lines of, um, I keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. I identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. Um, Now, look, I put out a lot of tweets. I've got over 90,000 tweets. I put out a lot of content and I just have, sometimes I just have fun with it. Sometimes I'm serious. Sometimes I'm a little bit trolly. Sometimes, you know, that that's the kind of person I am. And so I put this tweet out the same as I put out any other tweet. All right. I thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, it's going to get some LOLs and some retweets and stuff. But within a minute, within a minute of pressing tweet, I knew I had done something mm. because I had never seen the numbers, the likes and the retweets and the comments were just like growing in front of my eyes. It went from like, I posted it and it was like five likes, 10 likes, 27 likes, 43 likes, 80 like, like, is it that quickly? It just, it was just go like within, within 10 minutes, the video had over 10,000 views, right? Crazy. And <laughs> so, so I'm just standing there looking at my phone, like. Um, what is this? Because I've gone viral a few times since then, but this was the first time I'd like really like totally gone viral. And this thing was just spreading and spread. It hit 100,000 views. I want to say it hit 100,000 views. Certainly, I think within within an hour or two. Oh, my and it, God. And, and, and it wasn't just the numbers. It was who was retweeted. Like it started getting retweeted by massive accounts right mm-hmm. started getting retweeted by all these big verified accounts and in different worlds in, in different countries in different sectors and all this like political people sports people uh this mma fighter retweeted it this comedian retweeted it wow and i was just i was just like oh my gosh what is going on here 
So this kept going on all day, all day. I'm just like, you know, sort of, sort of looking at it. And then um, by the time I went to bed, the video had um, over 300,000 views. And I gained, I don't know, I'd already gained like 5,000 new followers or something. At the time I tweeted it, I had 19,000 followers. Um, wow. As we make this today, I'm a, about a third of a million. So, you know, so, so this thing just kept going and it went on, it went on for days though. It went on for days, right? So the following day I start getting contacted by media outlets. BBC want to talk to me. I get contacted by the Sunday times. I get contacted, I'm getting contacted by like all of these radio stations, media outlets. Hey, we want to talk about this video you posted. Why did you do this? We want to talk about this. We want, and it was so bizarre. It was really, really weird. This like that tweet went on for like it was going viral for weeks mm-hmm. it went viral for weeks the video now has over 3 million views it just kept going it just kept on going it just kept spreading further and further one morning i wake up and my dms are flooded my my whatsapp is blowing up everyone's like yo joe rogan just mentioned you on his podcast yo joe, joe rogan just and i'm like wait what like what what's going on because this is now maybe two or three weeks after i posted it yep right and i'm just like what do you mean joe like and then I'm like, wait, like, can someone give me, you know, his podcasts are three hours long. I'm like, can, where? like give, give me a timestamp. And then I go and, you know, he, he's doing a podcast with uh, Brian Callen and he, they pull up the video and, um, you know, they're, they're talking about it. And then he follows me on Twitter. And then like later that day, he DMs me on Twitter and I'm now there chatting with Joe Rogan. And I'm just like, what is, what is going on here? Like, this is nuts. And, um, you know, it just kept going. And then, um, Obviously, like many months later down the line, I got the opportunity to go out to the USA and I spent three months there and um, I did the Joe Rogan experience. I did the Rubin Report. I was on the Ben Shapiro show. I was on Fox News multiple times, Tucker Carlson. I was doing all of these different shows and all in every city I was in, people recognized me. I was in, I was in states and cities I'd never been to in the USA before. And people were like, you're Zuby, right? And I'm just like, this is insane, you know? Like through my music, I, there are certain cities in the UK where I get recognized from time to time. But um, I'm suddenly in LA and people are driving past like, yo, Zuby, what's up? I'm like, this is this is the trippiest thing, you know? And then I go on the biggest podcast in the world and now millions of more people have heard of me. Um, and yeah, man, it, it was wild. It, it was wild. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of hard to, it's sort of hard to explain because it was like a, a flashpoint that just led to this sort of cascade of events. Um, and it was all kindled by, you know, the kindling was done in the in the 10 or 15 years leading up to that moment, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like, so, so once people discovered me, um, I'd like to say that I went viral rather than just the tweet going viral. Mm. So it's not uncommon for a tweet to go viral. I'm sure if you spend time on Twitter, you've probably just seen like a a random tweet from a random account with 200,000 likes and 50,000 retweets. And, you know, you go on the person's account and they have 4,000 followers and, you know, there's nothing particularly interesting about them. But in my case, people, you know, people came for the deadlift and then they were like, oh, wait, this guy makes music. Oh, let me check out his songs. Oh, oh, he's got a podcast. Oh, Mm. he's... uh, Oh, actually, he's just like interesting. He's smart. Oh, this guy went to Oxford. Oh, he's interesting. Mm. Oh, he's into fitness. So there were all these other things that got people to stick around. It wasn't just that one thing. I mean, that that would have died out by March, by yeah. March 2019, if that's all I had. But the reason why it's carried on and why I've been able to continuously elevate is because 
that was the moment that got people to sort of pay attention. But now that they're paying attention, um, they've been able to sort of discover what Zuby's about and sort of see the things that I can offer to the world. Yeah, the way I think about it is like no one wakes up, very few people wake up, being able to deadlift that amount of weight. You put in work just in the gym for probably 10 years to make that happen. And it's like, oh, that's an overnight success. Well, he, mm-hmm. he was working he was working for 10 years. I don't know how long you were lifting before, but <laughs> that is that is part of it. And then, like you said, you had the music, you had the podcast. And I, I looked to see when you started the podcast, and it was right before that tweet. Like you had a few episodes out, but pretty crazy, like almost as if there was a plan or a higher plan in place. It just <laughs> – you know what I mean? Like craziness yeah. like that. Yeah, so, and do, you know what's, do you know what's crazy about it as well? is when I posted that tweet, I was at a pretty low point. I was at a point where I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so, so from 2014 to 2018, I made the majority of my income from doing pop-up shops in different shopping malls around the UK. So I'd set up, um, I'd sell my hoodies, my t-shirts, my CDs, my merchandise, um, and that was the, my main source of income for four years. And then at the beginning of 2019, my business partner stepped away from that because he wanted to work on some other stuff. And I actually tweeted that when I was doing the first ever shop that I was running totally by myself. And I was struggling to run this thing by myself. And it was a quiet day. And I was there sort of thinking of like, man, what's my next, what's my next move? I can't just keep doing this long grind these seven days a week in the shopping mall, talking to strangers, grinding, etc. Like I need to I need to elevate somehow. You know, I've built my audience, but things aren't yet at a stage where I can do all. So I'm there having all these thoughts and just sort of questioning the future. And lo and behold, that is where I'm standing, where I get the thought. A thought comes into my brain. So if people want to know where that tweet came from, I was on Twitter. And I had seen, I was just flicking through my feet and I saw like two or three different stories of um, trans athletes competing in female competitions and basically blowing them out the water. I think one story was in cycling, one story was in athletics, and one story was in uh, Olympic weightlifting. And for many years, like, this is something I've kind of kept an eye on for a few years and always just thought is, is ridiculous, right? And I was just like, you know what? I'm really good at deadlifting. I wonder what the I wonder what the I wonder what the women's record is. And so I just Googled. I Googled the British women's deadlift record, and in my weight class, I believe it was something like 210 or 215 kilos. And my best is 275. And I was like, oh, I can destroy that. I was like, so the video that went viral was already on my phone. So people people think I went to the gym specifically to pull that stunt. <laughs> That, that video was just from one of my training videos. And I was like, oh, wait, here's a video of me doing 230, which is already 15 kg more than the record. And so I just took that video, uploaded it to Twitter, wrote what I thought was a funny caption, hit tweet. And here we are almost two years later. And um, yeah, things have, things have elevated since then. So the timing of it in a lot of ways was actually a lot more remarkable than most people than most people realize. And you have to remember, I mean, I've been, a lot of people, most people who know me discovered me in the past year, two years. But I mean, you gotta remember, man, I put out my first album in 2006, right? I've been grinding for a while. If you look at my Twitter account, I joined Twitter in 2009, 
right? I've joined, I've been on all these platforms for like 10 plus years. I've been putting in so much work on all these levels. I've been touring, I've been traveling, I've been selling my CDs. I sold 25,000 CDs in the UK independently before that tweet, right? So for anyone who thinks that, you know, it's like, oh, this guy just popped up out of nowhere and he got lucky or whatever, it's like, man, <laughs> if you guys knew the full story and the grind and the sacrifices I've made, you know, I I, uh, I left my job nine years ago to go pursue a full-time music career. I had a good job, right? Last year, last year was the first year that I made more money um, independently than I would have done if I'd stayed at my job. Last year was the first year, so for eight years I took a pay cut, right? So you get people who are like, oh, I like, he's just doing this for money, or you just you you just got into music for money. I'm like, are you insane? Like, you don't get, if you want to make money, music is not what I recommend. Like, mm -hmm. that's not, <laughs> get into music because you love music. Don't do it to make money. There's way easier ways to make money. Going back to nine years ago, why were you so confident in yourself, or why were you so sure of yourself to take that leap? Um... Because I believe it was in God's plan for me, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, that'll make total sense to some people. For some people, they might find that like a weird answer. But, um, you know, I've been blessed with certain abilities, talents, a certain personality, and a way of being. And um, I knew, I mean, the whole time I was in the corporate world, I used to be a management consultant. And I was good at my job. You know, I'm a smart guy. But I knew that's not what I wanted to spend my whole life doing. At that stage, I'd already, I'd already released a couple albums independently. I knew I wanted to do music. Um, I just didn't really know exactly how to go about it. And even when I left, I didn't know exactly how to go about it. But um, I saved up some money. I hit a certain milestone in my career. I got this promotion. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go buy a van and put my name on it. And I'm going to travel around the UK doing shows and selling my CDs on the street. And that's, that's how I started. Um, in terms of my mindset, I felt like it was two things really that really pushed me. One was, or maybe three things. One, like I said, I believe, you know, it was a calling from a higher power. Like God was talking to me and was like, all right, man, like you've got to, you can't squander this talent. You have to, you have to do something with it, right? You have to put in that effort. Um, number two was in my workplace, you know, just thinking towards the future, thinking, okay, I was in my early 20s. And most people I was working with were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, some even in their 60s. And I was like, okay, when I'm 50 years old, do I want to be this guy? The clear answer was no, no disrespect, but the answer was no. Okay, so it's like, okay, this is not my, this is not my plan. And also, in terms of the risk, it felt like a bigger risk for me to stay doing what I was doing and not pursue my dream than to pursue my dream, mm. right? The worst thing that could have happened is... I go out with my music, I have some small moderate successes, things don't work out, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back and maybe I'll go back into the corporate world or I'll start a business or whatever. That's the worst case scenario. I'm an Oxford University graduate, I'm from a solid family, I'm never, God, thank God, I'm never going to be on the street shaking a cup, you know, sleeping out in the cold, begging for change, you know, that's not, that's not a possibility. Um, and I'm blessed in that regard. So it's like, the worst that can happen is, I don't get as big as I want to with my music or whatever else I do. And okay, you know, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to starve. I don't have a, I don't have children who are going to, who are going to starve if like I can't provide a certain amount of money. I knew I could look after myself. I was already making enough money from my music to know that I could keep myself afloat. So as long as I could keep myself afloat and survive, then I knew 
I didn't know exactly what success was going to look like. And to this day, I still don't know exactly what my success is going to look like because as far as I'm concerned, I'm only just lightly scratching the surface of what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, okay, you know, you keep keep working at it, you keep going, and you will you will get there. It's like running a marathon. Like no matter whether you run fast or you run slow or you walk or you even crawl, if you keep on going, either you're going to die or you're going to get to the or you're going to get to the destination, right? Like <laughs> so. So you just you just keep on going and um, innovate when you need to. Um, you, you know, you'll have times where things speed up and you get like catalyst moments. Maybe you have this one song, you know, maybe this one song overperforms or you post a video and oh, that particular video does well. Or you identify as a woman and you do a deadlift and boom, suddenly <laughs> millions of people around the world hear about you. Like you never know what the catalyst is going to be. Like I don't even know what the next one will be. Right. Um, there might be something that happens next year and all of a sudden, oh, wow, like it just elevates again to a whole new level. Stuff mm-hmm. just goes to a whole nother level. And that's just that's just the way these things go. So you just got to you just got to keep chipping away at it. And think about how much more fun life is from that perspective. Oh, right. The fact that you don't know allows us to be surprised and allows us to have so much fun in this thing called life if you're putting yourself out there every day. So yeah. going to you you had nine nine years there or eight years two thousand eleven to two thousand nineteen before you quote unquote blew up, yeah. but take us through some of the down moments some of the moments I'm sure there were moments where you're like is this really for me did I make a mistake mm-hmm. should I go back what were you thinking in those down moments because I think that could really help someone listening or watching this podcast yeah sure um, okay so let let me I've sort of touched on this but let let me frame this properly just to just to let people know what this trajectory was like, okay? So I, I studied computer science at Oxford University, one of the best universities in the world. Um, I graduated when I was 20, okay? <laughs> I'm someone who, this isn't me trying to be cocky, but like there's a lot of things I could do in the world, right? If I wanted to be an investment banker or like a Silicon Valley dude or whatever, like those are legitimate options open to me. Those are what my peers went off to do. Right. You know, I, I know people who went off and founded companies in Silicon Valley or who are now um, MPs in the British Parliament. These are guys in my own grade. Right. In my own class, like who are now doing this, who are now doing all these different things. So that's like, you know, where you're sort of coming from in that regard. And I was a management consultant. I worked for, you know, a big, well-known global company. I won't I won't name drop them. Um, and I was on a, you know, a trajectory for you know, a great white collar corporate career, climb that ladder, you know, maybe become a senior manager or an executive and, you know, just make money, be comfortable, not change the world really in any significant way, but, you know, just be, be super comfortable and successful in the normal sense. And in 2011, I was like, you know what, I want to be a full-time independent rapper. It's worth considering like, this isn't, oh, I got signed to some big record label or someone put a lot of money behind me or something. It was like, you know, this is just, you know, I'm going to leave this and I'm just going to hit the street and I'm going to promote my music. Right. Um, So I went from suit and tie, you know, being in, being in uh, meetings with JP Morgan and the London stock exchange and whatever, to literally being on the street with a backpack in my headphones, talking to absolute strangers, just hawking my CDs, selling my CDs for like five pounds each, seven pounds each, et cetera. Um, And there were times when that was great. Right. In the summer, 
and there's lots of people out and I'm meeting all these like young people, teenagers, young adults, whatever. They're checking, they're digging my music. I'm making fans, taking photos, taking selfies with my fans, doing shows. That was great. But then you'd have times when it's like this time of year, it's December and I'm on the street in Manchester or Newcastle and it's snowing. Mm. I'm wrapped up with multiple layers on and gloves and I've got my backpack of CDs and nobody wants to stop because it's dark and it's freezing and I'm still there trying to like sell my CDs and I'm thinking, geez, I I used to like work in an office (laughs) and have a steady paycheck and I'm like, what? I, I, I'm an Oxford grad. Like, what am I doing? Like, why, why, why am I putting myself through this? It's raining. It's snowing. Like, why am I even out here? Mm. I'm talking to people who, who like absolute strength, like, man, I had a lot of moments or for example, I'm touring, you know, when I did my very first tour, which I self-organized, um, you know, I've had gigs where five people show up, mm-hmm. right? I've had a gig where three people showed up. Right. Mm-hmm. So you travel all the way to a city. Imagine, imagine traveling like multiple hours to get to a city. You want to do the show and there's three people in the crowd. You've got, and then you've got like, there's more people who are working the venue than who are in the audience to see you. Wow. And, and, and most musicians have experienced this. Most musicians will not talk about this, but most musicians have experienced this. Right. And it's just like, you know, and you still do the show. You still do the show. You still belt it out for an hour and you go hard. And you make sure you take a photo with every single person there and you sign every CD and what, but like, man, you know, those are the times where you're just like, geez, man, what am I, what am I, what, what am I doing? Right. Is this, mm-hmm. is this going to work? Am I deluded? Like, am I just kind of like, you know, I've got this fantasy of, oh, I want to be a rapper and whatever. Like, I think I'm dope. Like, I'm like, man, no, I'm listening to my music. Like, no, my music is good. You know, my fans like my music or whatever. Um, but the world just isn't hearing it. The world's not paying attention. Um, so there were a lot of moments like that, man. So you had the highs and the lows. It's just up and down, up and down over the course of many different years. But I always knew, I always knew, like I said, this was like God speaking to me. I always knew this is all preparing me for something in the future. Mm. And that's part of why, sorry, to add, to add, to loop back around to something you asked me earlier. This is how I psychologically am able to handle this now. So I've already been through just just like just like I couldn't have lifted that 230 kg on my first day in the gym. If I'd blown up like this and had all this media attention or whatever five years ago, ten years ago, I I don't you know I wouldn't don't know what I would have done on. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done. Even this this podcast, this interview, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate myself in the way that I can now because I just didn't have the experience. I said this to someone yesterday actually, which was if you know the end destination, all of the hurdles that you go through are you're able to deal with them because you know, oh, like I just know the plan. I know how this is going to end up. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know in my heart of hearts that I'm going to get to my destination. Like with that mentality and with that belief, you can't be stopped. You are just you are just unstoppable from my perspective. Yep. Same from yep. yours. I, I, I agree totally, man. I agree totally. Um, and you do you you have to be you have to be like you have to be so like look if you're <laughs> if you want to make a dent on this world, you want people to like when you tell the average person your goals or what you're trying to achieve or you want you're like 
they have to think you're deluded. If they don't think you're deluded, you're not thinking big enough, right? If they're like, okay, yeah, you can, you know, you, you need them to be like, dude, come on, like, come back down to earth. Like, I'm like, nah, man, I'm going to be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, and I fully believe it. Like I have yep. a delusional level. I have like a delusional level of self-belief, belief, not because I'm deluded, but because I know I have the potential and the capacity to to do the things that I want and achieve the things that I want to achieve. And, you know, Lord willing, I, I will. I will. I've already achieved. I've already achieved things that I never thought. Well, not that I never thought I could because I wouldn't have started if I didn't think I could. But, um, you know, like if, if, the, if me from five years ago could see what I'm doing now and some of the things I've achieved now, you know, saying that, oh, you know what? You're going to be invited to the White House three times in one year. Oh, you know what? Joe, Joe Rogan's going to invite you on his podcast and you're going to be um, you're, you're going to be Tucker Carlson's favorite rapper. Right. I'd be like, what? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what are you even talking about? That doesn't even, that doesn't even, I'm from the UK too. Right. Like, it's like, what do you mean? That doesn't even make sense. Why would they even know who I am? Like that, that's silly. And you know, these things happen in weird ways and um, yeah, it's beautiful, man. But I think one of the best things about the whole thing is that by me taking that big step to leave my job in 2011, it opened this entire pathway of possibility, mm. right? Had I stayed at my job, no way you wouldn't know who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Like mo- anyone who's white, like people wouldn't know who I am. Like, it just wouldn't have been possible because I would have been doing those things. I'd be successful in one regard, but I wouldn't be impacting on the sort of scale and influencing and inspiring on the scale that I am now. How do you put that insane level of self-belief or delusion into the mind of someone? Like what is... Let's say that our mission right now is to inspire someone else to have that same level of self-belief. Maybe everyone shouldn't, but let's say it's our mission to do that. What do, how do we go about convincing them that they should also have that? Can you think back to a time in your life when you didn't have that? And I'm curious about your perspective on this. Yeah. Um, you know, I sort of have two answers on this. My very sort of logical and rational and scientific side says it's probably not possible. You know, not everyone is capable of that type of thinking and confidence, etc. You have to have a certain personality type and a certain wiring to even be able to sort of access that level of self-confidence. Um, but in terms of what you can work on, I think your mindset, your mindset can be trained just like you can train any muscle in your body. So you might not be able to run a marathon right now, but if you if you train for a marathon, you can run one. You might be able to only bench press or squat or deadlift or whatever X amount of weight right now, but if you keep working at it, you'll get stronger, your muscles get bigger, your neural connections get better, and I think your mindset is the same. You can you can train it. You can train it. So if you continually push yourself outside of your comfort zone in, you know, physically, um, mentally, in terms of your knowledge and your learning, in terms of uh, social aspects and relationships, maybe you're terrified of public speaking. But you know what? If you uh, can give a speech to five people, then you can give one to ten people. Then you can give one to thirty people. Then you can, you know, I get people who are like, "Man, do you get scared before you go on stage if you're going to do a speech or a performance or what?" It's like, no, because it's now within my comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? So to scare me now, you know, if you put me on stage at like. Glastonbury Music Festival or in Madison Square, okay, that's going to scare me because that's so beyond what I've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's what it is. So it's, it's incremental. So you might not be able to, if you're someone who's like, has a lot of self-doubt 
and you're not very confident and you don't have a lot of experience under your belt in certain areas or whatever, then sure, it might be hard to do. You probably, in fact, you probably shouldn't go to diluted level of self of self belief too quickly, right? Because you're you're going to be a fraudster, right? You'll you'll be you'll be faking it and not even ever making it. But you have to be able to just always see that next that next level. And once you achieve one thing, in you, there are certain things that you can achieve, which you then realize are even possible. So there are things that I've kind of done, and 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 once I did it, it's like oh. Okay, that's possible. And you can also be inspired by seeing other people do it, right? So, um, you know, the first time, you know, like the first time I, I don't, I don't know, like, like, let me see. Like, there's a lot of examples. Okay, even if you want to talk like, the same thing applies to everything. The same thing applies to, the same thing applies to money, okay? There was a time in my life where I couldn't understand, like, how you could make, how can you make, how can you make a thousand dollars in an hour? Mm-hmm. Right. Most people, there's a, there are swathes of people in the world who think like, wait, that's not even possible. That doesn't make sense. Jobs only pay X amount, and they're stuck in the frame of thinking about a job, right? So you you've already there aren't a, there there aren't a lot of jobs that are going to pay you a thousand dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. So by even thinking about it in terms of jobs, you're already limiting like your brain to think within that certain box. If you think, hmm, what if? What if I have a product that sells for $20 and I sell 50 of them? Or what if I have a product that sells for $50 and I sell 20 of them? That's $1,000. Mm-hmm. And now you can see, could you sell could you sell 20 of something in an hour? Maybe. There's this big thing called the internet. There's billions of people on it. So, yeah, oh, okay. So, and then, and then someone does that and it's like, oh, wow, I made... Even if you do it in a day, right? Not an hour. Forget it. An hour, a day, and it's like, you know, oh wow, I made a thousand dollars in a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, like that opens a new realm of your thought. It's like, wow, okay, that means I can make two thousand dollars in a day. Or, and then you might see someone else who's doing something. You're like, whoa, this guy made twenty. This guy made twenty thousand dollars in a day, and you're mm-hmm. just like, okay, you see the things that are possible. It's the same if you're into like bodybuilding and weight, and you're watching like people lifting crazy weights, and you're like, oh wow, that is. That's like a human being is capable of doing that thing. It doesn't mean I will be able to, you know, like sports is a weird one because people obviously use performance enhancing drugs and stuff, right? So there's a limit beyond what a natural person can do. But just anything, you know, if you look at the people at the top of any field, that's why it's so inspiring. We as humans are always inspired by people who are just like the best at anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Go on YouTube and you watch a video of fastest Rubik's Cube solve, right? You're just like, what a human being... I don't even do Rubik's Cubes, but like I, I can watch someone who's a master at anything and it just inspires me because it's like, wow, a human being can put in so much work and dedication and talent into something that they're just so good at it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's where that kind of thinking can come from, I think. Yeah, and I'm so happy you brought up the weightlifting example because I have a buddy of mine who always said to himself, oh, I have a weak chest. I'll never be able to do I'll never have a big chest. And then he started just doing 100 push-ups a day for two months. And all of a sudden, he was getting complimented on his chest. And he's like, well, <laughs> well, if I thought this about my chest, what else am I lying to myself exactly. about? And, exactly. and that's really powerful because once you have one of those breaks like that, and, and weightlifting can be one of those breaks, in that mental shift, mm-hmm. it, it allows you to see the world in a completely different way. Before. Before we wrap this up, Zuby, I know you're limited on time. 
I got to ask, how was going on Joe Rogan? He's a hero of mine and inspiration. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> and I'd love to, to dive deeper on, on Joe Rogan and what that experience was like as a guest perspective. Yeah, man. Um, it was cool. It was a little bit surreal, but mm. it was also very comfortable. Um, obviously I chatted with him before we follow each other on social media. So we, we DM from time to time, um, which is kind of cool in itself. That's badass, you know, (laughs) but I've I've been listening and watching his show for a couple of years. So in a way, just like you probably feel like you already know him, just like we, we've never met in person, but you probably feel like, you know, for sure. If we did, if we did meet, you'd probably be a bit like, Oh, whoa, like this is Zuby. But you'd also be like, Oh, this is kind of familiar. Like I, I saw, I know. I know this guy, right? So it was kind of like that. So when I met him, um, so I, I actually showed up early. He was, he was running a bit late. He was like 20 minutes late. So he sort of came in and then he just was like, you know, I was talking to some of, he's got like a very small team and I was just there with the security and stuff. And um, yeah, he just came, you know, hey, what's up, brother? Like, good, great to see you. How's the trip? Welcome to LA, da, da, da. And then we went in there and I was like, oh, I'm in the room. You know, this is when he had his old studio in LA, you know, like, the room that I'm used to seeing on my screen. And, oh, there's young Jamie right there, right? Oh, my and God. And I'm, I'm like, you know, <laughs> so, so it was it was kind of surreal. But um, the very beginning of the podcast, hopefully it doesn't come across too much in the podcast, but um, the beginning I was a little bit not not like – I don't really get like nervous or shook or whatever, but I was just a bit like not totally loose, you know? It's yep. like, oh, whoa. Like, and also just being cognizant of how many people are going to hear this. So I'm like also kind of like, okay, don't say anything like super stupid. Like don't – but, but at the same time, you don't want to be, like, boring and not have any personality or whatever. So after a while, um, you know, it, it took a little I, – I think the second half of the podcast is actually better because I think it was a bit more, like, loose and open and the conversation was more interesting, etc. Um, but, yeah, man, it was, it was a really cool experience. Like I said, it was comfortable, but it was, but it was also a bit surreal. And it was also weird because in that same week, I did um, – in the same week, I did Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin – um fox news i did like a whole bunch of them like all in one week and i've never even been to la before so it's like i touched down in la and suddenly i'm meeting all these people and then oh and when i when i finished the joe rogan episode uh the next guest was neil degrasse tyson so i come out and he was like you're a smart young man it was like the first thing he said to me because he'd been he'd been, he'd been no way live, right no like, you're way a smart young man and so like we just i'm just there with neil degrasse tyson and joe rogan and we're just talking and like hanging out and i'm just kind of like this is <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, this is so trippy. And then the next day, it's like, you know, you're with Dave Rubin. And then the next day, I'm with Ben Shapiro and the guys at the Daily Wire. And I'm just like, man, this is, uh, this is dope. This is cool. What an incredible life. All right, Zuby, before we, we wrap it up, one final question for you. And that is, if you have any wisdom for someone trying to become the greatest version of themselves, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it may be, Drop that wisdom here. Sure thing, man. Um, I would say, you know, the, the, the main thing is to, the first step is to recognize, recognize that you have potential and you are nowhere close to all that you could be in any regard, physically, mentally, spiritually, relationships, your network, your net worth, whatever it is, there's so much room for improvement and the world is full of opportunity. Like once you once you attune your brain to seeing opportunity, then you will realize that opportunity is everywhere. Money is everywhere. Like there there is n- there's not scarcity. People think that there's like scarcity and there's very limited this and there's limits. Like no, there is abundance everywhere. If you live in the Western world in 2020, 
even with this pandemic, even with like all the nonsense going on, even with the political hijinks, there is so much opportunity. So tune your mind out of the nonsense and look for opportunity and just work on yourself continually. You don't need to make some huge thing in one day, but just chip away at it, you know, right? If you're, if you want to make a podcast, you know, just start. You want to make a YouTube channel, start. You want to write a book, just start by writing a couple hundred words a day. Write a couple hundred words a day every day, you know, in a week. Oh, wow, you've done a couple thousand words in a week. Oh, in a month. Oh, wow, you've, you're doing, you've now done 8,000 8, words a month. Within a couple months, you've got your whole book written. Um, and anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. So whatever it is, don't put false limitations on yourself. Just go out there, do it. Don't forget what other people are going to say. Don't worry about failure. Just just go and do it because failure is not doing it. Failure isn't it's not being super successful. Failure is not doing it. Beautifully said, Zuby. I could speak to you for hours. You're an inspirational dude. I appreciate you so much. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Zubimusic.com. I'm on all social media at Zubimusic, Z-U-B-Y Music. Definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm also on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Parlay. And follow me on everything at Zuby Music. Awesome. Those will all be in the show notes at dannymiranda.com. Thank you so much, Zuby. Have a great one. Beautiful people, we are back, and that was my episode with Zuby. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda, and I cannot wait to hear from you. If you listened until this moment, I'm so grateful for you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for listening. Truly appreciate you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.